Today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. When your life is given to Jesus Christ, He holds it, He sustains it. And one day, He's going to take you into the very presence of God Himself. And whether you're talking about a life or whether you're talking about a universe, if it doesn't have that steady hand of Christ involved in it, it's utter chaos. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Our teacher and pastor Steve Converse continues with our series entitled God's Final Word. It's a look at how God has spoken to us in various ways in the past, but now, according to Hebrews, the final word is Jesus Christ and all that that entails. We hope you'll join us today and not only join us, but be encouraged in Christ as you walk through his word with us. It is our hope and prayer here at Graceful Truth that not only are you growing in Christ, but if you're currently searching for a church in your neighborhood and we happen to be that neighborhood, that you'll plan on joining us on a Sunday. I'll have more for you at the close of our broadcast, but for now, Let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, as we look at God's final word in Jesus on this edition of Graceful Truth. It's important to understand that, that Christ was, first of all, it was prepared for him, and then it was also, he was presented to us because he's spoken to us by his son. Third thing is we see his glory. It says there, in verse 2, in these last days he's spoken to us through his Son, whom he also appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And then in verse 3 it says, who being the brightest of his glory. Some translations read radiance. It represents Jesus as the manifestation of God. He expresses God to us. See, he's not, a, he's not just reflecting. It's like when you look at the moon at night, what is the moon doing? On a clear night, you see a, a bright moon in the sky. The, the light is not coming from the moon, right? It's just reflecting light. The moon is a rather dark, cold place. But So when you think of something that is radiance of his glory, it means that, he is, that that glory is coming out of him because he is God. He's not just reflecting God's glory. Jesus Christ is the glorious light of God, the Bible says, that shines into the hearts of men and women. And just as the sun is never without and can't be separated from its brightness, you can't take the brightness of the sun and separate it from the sun. You just can't do it. God was never without and can't be separated from the glory of Christ. Just can't. He is fully and absolutely God. Yet, he's still a distinct person. You know, we would never be able to see or even to enjoy God's light if we didn't have Jesus Christ to look at. If he wouldn't have come down... And put on a human body. Remember, he said one day in, in John eight twelve, as he was standing before the temple, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of what? Life. Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. He can transmit that light into our own lives if we choose to follow him. There's that darkness in our world of injustice and failure, separation, Disease, death, all sorts of things. But there's nothing like the light of God. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul explains, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It says it very clearly. God sent his light in the person of Jesus Christ that 
we might behold, accept, and then even radiate that light. But Satan is out there trying to blind the minds of men and women and children so they won't see the light of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says this, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, Christ is central to all this. And that's what happens when God comes into your life. There was a song that was written, I don't know, it's in the 80s or whatever, You Light Up My Life. Remember that song? I don't know if she was talking about God or her boyfriend, but the words of that song are true. When Christ comes into your life, he definitely lights you up. Next thing there, his nature or his being, we see his nature or his being. It says, the express image of his person. Jesus Christ is the express image of God. Christ not only was God manifest, he was God in substance. He was an exact representation. And it kind of explains that. It, it's, it means that it was a, something that they would take in the, the times of the Bible. They, when they were to cast something, they would take wax and they would get it soft and they would push the image down into the wax and then they'd pull the image out and they'd have an exact representation of whatever they wanted to, to cast. Colossians 1.16 gives us a similar uh, verse there. He says, He is the image of the invisible God. That word image is, is icon, E-I-K-O-N, in, in the Greek language, the word where we get icon from. What's it mean? It means a precise copy, exact representation. It's not a cheap imitation of God. It means that he is the exact r- reproduction of God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Somehow, we, we bypass that when it comes around Christmas. You know, we look at the manger, we look at the little baby, and we begin to realize, well, okay, you know, it's, we forget that this was God. This was the God who was going to die on the cross for our sins. Somehow, we bypass that. We forget that. Next thing this, these verses show us in verse 3 is it shows us his authority. It says not only is the express image of his person, that being God's, and it says upholds all things by the word of his power. That speaks of Christ's authority. Christ not only made all things, and not only will he one day inherit all things, but the Bible says that somehow he holds all things together in the meantime. That, that word there, upholds, means to support or to maintain The tense here is in the present tense. And what that means is it's a continuous thing. And one day I believe that Christ will stop doing this action. He'll stop upholding all things by the word of his power. I mean, just think of it logically. When you stop and you think, you've all been probably in a science class at one point or another, and you you get down to the little atom and you, you have all these little things flying around in there. One thing I've never heard is, why don't those things just, you know, go out and wherever? doesn't make any sense. Christ is holding them literally together. I really believe that. One day, he's going to let go. And when he lets go, literally all hell is going to break loose here on earth. That's exactly what's going to happen. And that's where we have to really begin to understand that as Christ's authority is over, over all these things, everything in the universe is held together by his power. I mean, when you stop and you think of just... The world, the earth, something little lets go 
You know, a tsunami hits or an earthquake or, or something like that. A flood. Boy, you know, you look at the devastation that it causes. Can you imagine all those things happening at the same time? It's going to be disastrous. I mean, literally, we would go out of existence if Christ were not sustaining us. I mean, think of Christ just for just a couple of seconds. Said, you know what, I'm going to make the law of gravity go away. <laughs> he could do it. He's the one that holds it there. I mean, can you imagine what would happen? It'd be crazy. And so you look at that, and you look at his authority and, and the power that he has there. Some say that the sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's, scientists say that if our earth were any closer to the sun, it would literally burn up. And yet, if it were any further away, we would freeze. It's placed precisely at the right place. Our globe is tilted on the exact angle of 23 degrees. Gives us the four seasons that we know of. Scientists say that if it weren't tilted in such a way, vapors from the oceans would move north and south and develop into these monstrous continents of ice. If the moon didn't retain its exact distance of the earth, the ocean tides would just run the land over completely twice a day. I mean, you stop and you think all these things are very precise. They're very exact. And Christ is the one who holds all these things together. He maintains it all. He's not like the some people call themselves deists and they think, well, yeah, God created everything, then he just kind of sat back and he just lets it do whatever it wants. Well, that's not true. He's maintaining the world as we know it. He's holding these things together. No scientist or mathematician or astronomer or nuclear physicist could do anything without upholding, without the upholding power of Jesus Christ. Literally, the whole universe hangs on the arm of Jesus. And he does it without any effort. The key to the creation story to understanding the beginning is those two words in Genesis where God said just that. God said. God spoke and it happened. That's the kind of power that we're talking about. It's the kind of authority. That's why in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when Paul writes, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, we should be encouraged as believers that the same God who created everything around us is the same God who began a work in your heart. And he says, it's not going to be undone. He's going to hold on to it. He's going to sustain that work. No matter how topsy or turvy your life may get, he's going to see it through. I think of the verses in Jude 24 and 25. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. See, when your life is given to Jesus Christ, he holds it. He sustains it. And one day he's going to take you into the very presence of God himself. And whether you're talking about a life or whether you're talking about a universe, if it doesn't have that steady hand of Christ involved in it, it's utter chaos. Next thing he goes on here in verse 3 is he talks about his atonement. He says, when he had by himself purged our sins, made atonement for our sins. See, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible clearly says. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died our deserved death. He did that for us. And he took the penalty of our sins upon himself. See, and if we will accept his death 
and believe that he died for us, he's basically going to free you from the penalty of sin. And he's going to purify you from the stain of sin. I mean, it's an incredible work that Christ created the world. It's incredible that he sustains the world. But can you imagine even a greater work than that? Upholding the world and, and then purging men from their sin? Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. Here's what we're told about Christ. Hebrews 7, verse 27. He's speaking of, I'll start in verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Speaking of Christ, here's what he says in verse 27. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's For this he died once for all when he offered up himself. When Christ offered up himself and he sacrificed and it was accepted by God, that's done. That's why we don't have an altar here. We don't come out and and have, you know, when we have communion, I don't take the host and I reach up to heaven and pull Jesus down upon the altar and then do some miracle power and make this bread into the flesh and the juice into the blood of Christ. That's what they believe. That's what the Roman Catholic Church believes. They believe that somehow you have to continue this sacrificial system. That's why they have priests. We have pastors. I mean, people sometimes ask me, well, well you know, don't you think that you could be, be a Christian and go to the Catholic Church? Sure, it's possible. But I don't see why you would want to go to a church that drags Jesus out of heaven every Sunday, every Mass, and re-sacrifices him on an altar by a priest. When God's word clearly says, you know what, it was done once. He offered once for all when he offered himself. This does not continue. Why would you want to be part of a system like that? See, he was not only the high priest, the ultimate high priest, but he was the ultimate sacrifice. And because his sacrifice was pure, he can purify our sins. Something that the Old Testament sacrifice could never do. They were only looking forward to the anticipation of that perfect sacrifice. In Hebrews 9, verses 12 to 14, it just tells us a little more about the power of his atonement, of his sacrifice. It says there, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Then he says down in verse 26, he then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now... Once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We don't need to go there anymore. There's nothing you need to do to try to clean yourself up to come to Christ. Christ has already done it. That should be good news. You just have to be willing to accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's already paid the penalty of your sin. Christ went to the cross and he bore the penalty for our sin for all who would accept his sacrifice. Believe in him and receive him and follow him. Their sins were purged. Their sins were wiped out, the Bible says. I mean, you can't get any more straightforward than Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. 
He says, you know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, we are all sinners, beloved. The the Bible clearly points out that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And either we pay the penalty for our own sin, which is eternal death, separation from God for eternity, or we accept Jesus Christ's payment when he sacrificed himself. And when we do that, we receive eternal life. If the desire of our heart is to receive him as Savior, to believe in him and to accept his sacrifice, our sins, the Bible says, are washed away at that point. The Bible also says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin in Hebrews 9.22. 1 John 1.7, it says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, Jesus came as a baby, but he also came as a perfect sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ will never be applied to you unless by faith you receive him into your life. And yet, there's still people that will reject that, that gift, that message. And in Hebrews chapter 10... The writer of Hebrews actually addresses those who would reject this message. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. If you're rejecting the message of Christ, the free gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of Christ, here's what he says in Hebrews 10 verse 26. He says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, if we reject Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the one who paid our penalty, there's nothing else in the whole universe, in the world that he created, that can take away that sin. And you will end up dying in your sin, as the Bible describes. Romans 8, 21, Jesus said, you shall die in your sin. Where I'm going, you can't come, ever. Because you're not willing to come to God through me. That's his atonement. Last thing this morning, his exaltation. His exaltation. It says after the atonement, and I think it's very fitting that they put this right next in the verse. It says he purged for our sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's his exaltation. Remember, we said that Christ was, came as a baby. Just God coming as, as a human being was, was humiliating enough. I mean, can you imagine having all the creative power of Jesus Christ and having to put up with some of the stuff that he had to put up with? With some of the scribes and the Pharisees are always trying to trick him. They're always trying to do this. They're always, he, had all the, he could have just went, zap, you're all toast. But he knew that wasn't in the Father's plan. So he yielded himself and his divine powers to the, the Father's plan. Still had them. They were all intact. He wasn't any less God when he was a human being. Some people say, well, when Jesus was in a body, was he omniscient? Did he know everything? Of course he did. Over and over again, he said, oh, he knew in their heart. He knew in their heart. Was he omnipotent? Could he, could he do it? Yeah. Look at, he created bread out of nothing, fish out of nothing, fed thousands of people, healed people. He had incredible power. Was he able to be everywhere at the same time? If he chose to be, he could. If not in his physical body, at least in his spirit. Remember, he said he... He saw certain individuals at certain places in their life. He wasn't there with them physically, but he knew. He laid all that aside and he, 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 he packed himself into this little bundle of joy we call a baby. And because of his obedience and because of his willingness to be humbled in the form of a servant for us, it says, this verse speaks of his exaltation. 
when it's all over, this is when he sits down. And that's, that's the wonderful statement here. This perfect high priest, it says he sat down. See, in the Old Testament, the priest could never sit down. They had no place to sit. And God knew in the Old Testament it wouldn't be appropriate. There's too many sins to atone. There are all these sacrifices and blood. You couldn't even sit down. I mean, you'd be sitting in a pool of blood probably from all the sacrifices that were going on. There were no seats in the tabernacle or the temple. His responsibility in the Old Testament was to sacrifice, sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again as a picture of this final sacrifice. See, but Jesus offered himself once and it says that when, when he finished it that's exactly what he says it is finished and when that happened it says that he went and he sat down with the father it's done it's accomplished what the old testament could not accomplish christ did with the sacrifice of himself when he sits down it signifies quickly four things first of all it's a sign of honor sign of honor philippians 2:11 says every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father See, to be seated at the right hand of God is, is a sign of honor. It's also a sign of authority. 1 Peter 3.22, he's at the right hand of God. Right hand is a sign of authority. Having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers, and he has been subject to them. He's sat down as a ruler. Thirdly, showed us that he sat down to rest, or he, his work was done, it was over. The last thing, he sat down to intercede for us. You know, the Jesus Christ is he who died, Romans 8, 34 says. Yes, rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? It's The Bible says in Romans 8, 34 that he is interceding for us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for all of us who belong to him. I mean, if that doesn't help you sleep at night, nothing will. The fact that Jesus is concerned with you on an ongoing basis, even while he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That just blows my mind. We've seen him as priest. We've seen him as king. And now, here, he's seated at the right hand of God. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message of Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. This isn't, you know, it's not about elves and Santa Claus and reindeer and and candy canes. And I mean, all those things are fun and fine. But you know what? Don't miss the message that, you know what? God, out of his love for us, sent his son to speak to our hearts finally. To sacrifice himself in a final sacrifice. That when we put our faith, our trust, our hope in him, and we live for him on a daily basis, desiring to serve Him and to to live lives that are honoring and glorifying Him of lives of obedience. That's, That's what Christmas is all about. That we have that opportunity to do just that. I pray this morning that you would remember that in your hearts as we go out into this world that is so distracted from the true meaning of Christmas. That maybe somehow, some way you could interject a little bit of hope, a little bit of love into their lives through the message of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would minister your grace to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we even ponder these things in our heart just now, Lord, I I pray that you would speak to that heart who's yet to commit to you. Father, you know the reason why or why not, and Lord, we just pray that you would minister your grace to them, that you would draw them in a way that they couldn't resist. 
And Father, I pray that you would make plain to us the message of Christmas. Lord, help us not to be distracted by all the things around us, but Lord, help us to keep our priorities right. And we're having a good time with family and friends that we would remember that that little baby born that Christmas morning, Lord, was very God. And one day he would be given as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.